1: Welcome to The Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and this week I'm joined by Patti Barkley, Stuart Robson, and broadcasting live from Barnes in beautiful West London, it's Matt Dickinson. Today we'll be focusing on Manchester as we look at City's triumph in the FA Cup and United's title securing draw at Blackburn. Also, we're privileged to be joined by Dave Boyle from Supporters Direct. He'll be discussing the select committee on football and the influence of fans on the game. So please join us for 40 minutes or so of the best football conversation you're likely to hear all week. Well, let's start at Wembley, where uh, Manchester City have uh, won their first trophy in many of their fans' lifetimes. Off the top of my head, I think this is what Sheikh Mansour is is hoping for. Paddy, is this the start of a new era? Certainly should be.
2: Um, I mean, we spoke a lot in advance about how a trophy would fill the whole club with confidence that that will happen. Um, the qualific- but for it to come on top of qualification for the qualification for the Champions League uh, was also very very important I don't think Manchester even Manchester United clinching the title could quite um, take away the uh, the reality, the the far from grim reality of those those twin towers. Um, so, no, I think it 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 can only it should only get better for Manchester City from now. There are doubts about whether Mancini is the man to purchase the players that will be needed to take them on to the very very top level. Why are there doubts about him? Shouldn't there be doubts about Brian Marwood since he's the guy who does it? I think I think there are doubts. Uh, I mean, the, the doubts about the relationship. I, I, Probably to to be more precise, I think you, the, the club needs to be marching together. Uh, really, the, uh, the, the those who do the recruiting. Uh, this is why the, the future of Liverpool uh, rests on the relationship between Komolli and Dalgleish, not Dalgleish. Uh, that's for those who believe that managers walk on water. It, it doesn't work like that in reality. Um, the the club must all sing from the same hymn sheet, and uh, I think that you know there is a doubt um, that uh, that 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 Marwood and Mancini would have the same attitude to recruitment. I mean, so how sh- do they
3: do the recruitment then? In your in your view, how do they do the recruitment?
2: Well, how do they they do it now? By going by just going absolutely picking the top. Who dictates who? Yes, Marwood
3: does all the deals, and he has to go and look at the players. But do you think Manchester we need a central midfield player that can do this? And then Marwood has to marry up with with a midfield player around the world that you can find who can do that job. Or Desmar would say, "This is the player you got. Now you got to put well, him into you, your team."
2: I think you must do it both ways because in well, the situation Manchester City are in at the moment, it's much more a case of identifying players who can take the club on. Hmm. And if by signing, let's say, if they get an inkling that Cesc Fabregas is viable, and mm-hmm. I think he probably is, then you don't—you might have to jettison players who you would otherwise keep. Hmm. If if I mean I'll pick I'll pick a bad example here, but say you 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 thought Yaya Toure was our best player in the in the two Wembley games over all the two mm. over the two Wembley games uh, against Manchester United and Stoke City that that, that yielded the cup, but. Can he play with Cesc Fabregas? Then you might have to sell him. So it, it, I think that, that where the city are now, you go for Maradona, you go for Peli, you go for the best players and you work around that because they haven't got time. As we move into the era of financial fair play, with a st- unless they build a new stadium in three years, um, they haven't got time to mess around. They have to get Fabregas. They have to get the very top players in the world this summer. And that's it. And if that means unfortunately losing some of the ones that you'd hitherto hope to make progress through and uh, you know the um, the, uh, the winger the left winger who plays... Adam Johnson Adam, if that means getting rid of Adam Johnson fine, he's got resale value but I think what Mancini's saying at the moment is that to compete
3: in the Champions League if they qualify mm. if, and to compete for the Premier League title they have to have a massive squad, that's what he's saying, of 25 of the t- of top players so yes. they can rotate Abs- he, says, uh, well, he said after the game, rotate take six or seven players each week that's
2: that's what that, he said that's exactly after the game. that's exactly what's needed and, and and i think that that probably if that's to be achieved they need to get rid of 8 to 10 players this this summer and bring in ten to twelve, and I and, and I mean that's it, it. Needn't cost as much money as people mm. imply because one of the one of the ones to go, one of the ones who should go is Tevez, because I think they can get a they can get a, a, a decent fee for him and bring I, in something better.
1: Well, actually, I want to I want to turn turn to the game about, about Yaya Toure because at the uh, I I think a lot of public opinion was so wrong about this guy yes when he arrived ooh a holding midfielder ooh he's getting you know he's. he's, I, I don't even know if this 220 grand a week figure is accurate I haven't been able to stand it up so many people I trust have reported it so I'm assuming it is um but I think it's fair to say this season, we, we've seen a, a phenomenal player with a, with a very unusual skill set that may be sometimes difficult to integrate into the side, but but certainly you know at times carried uh, City in the same way that, that perhaps Tevez or, or, or Vincent Company have. Story.
3: Well, the, the good thing about you know, Yaya Turi is he can play any position in central midfield. And uh, when people criticise him, for, you know, the, the, everyone kept on saying Manchester he's playing three holding midfield players. Yaya Toure, in some games that I saw, was the second striker and sometimes played as, yeah. the, as, as yeah. a centre forward. Right. And he is now, and I think I, I, I described it a few weeks ago when writing for the Arsenal Pro. I think it was, he is the best. Runner with the ball now in in English football. Absolutely, taking well, up agree, the ball with, with the ball and running at the
2: heart he, of the back. He floor. takes the it, ball from your penalty if you if you yeah. need it. He'll take the ball from your penalty area to the opposition. Yeah. And if, if if that's not a good definition of what football's all
1: about, I don't exactly. Dico.
4: Although yeah, I and mean, I agree with that. And I think you know as you say, people misinterpreted. Certainly, I mean, it's easy to misinterpret why he'd been signed because we'd seen him play in a certain role for Barcelona. And and, and credit to Mancini for for shaping him into something different uh, into something he needed and as you say I mean I'm, you know it's, it's, it's a heck of a sight seeing a player of his build um, I mean it's almost um, I wouldn't say with the grace of cacao but in fact so, you know cacao is extraordinary how he can cover mm-hmm. sort of 60 mm-hmm. yards with a ball at his yeah, feet and Torre absolutely. at times is same. but all I would say and this is this is quibbling it's not you know before I get bombarded with Tweets from mad City fans um, um, is that you know in that role there is nothing better than seeing a Dennis Berg, you know, a classic number ten with the while the wiles and the guile and the skills and say ultimately Mancini's got to do what works for them, but you can also see how that has shaped a certain type of City team, which is regarded as. But I, I know, think lack, lacking lacking in a little bit of finesse, and I'd say this you. is not this is this is quibbling and. And, but the finesse all...
3: comes from David, David Silva, surely, you know, playing well, from the it, wide end. What he does, he comes it. inside and it can come from Tevez. But actually, on Saturday when Yaya Torre scored his goal he was actually playing in a holding midfield role because they mm-hmm. just made the substitution mm-hmm. Tevez uh, uh, Balotelli went to centre forward Tevez went in behind mm-hmm. and Yaya Torre went for a little while Ooh. he went to centre half and, he, and uh, people was, uh, the centre half kept on coming out with the ball he went to centre and it just shows he's an all round player yeah, don't,
2: you, don't forget you, think, this is a lad who's played centre half in a Champions mm-hmm. League final and won it good
1: Let's talk about Stoke. Um, uh, some wonderful storylines there, of course. Peter Coates um, uh, seeing his team at the in the FA Cup final at Wembley, you know, sort of X amount of years after he was jeered when he took over the club again. Tony Pulis coming out there in a suit and then changing back into his shell suit and his little hat or whatever yeah. it is he wears. Um, I... I been critical of Pulis in particular and, and, and Stoke, but I think on balance they got to the final. They had a game plan. They've they've become certainly a much more multi-dimensional team. I thought you know playing somebody like Mark Wilson at left back who who is not just a one-dimensional player, but you know who can pass a little bit. I thought they went out there. They gave them they, they gave their best. Uh, they gave their best shot, and maybe we should be giving them some credit as well, Stuart or. No. I, Judging I, from your I, expression... No, I, I,
3: I saw them play against Arsenal the week before, and that was Arsenal, not their best. I thought, yeah, they're improving. They're, they're showing a bit more quality. They had a great game plan against Arsenal. But I think Pulis made a mistake by playing Edrington. They, they, they were too wide. They got outnumbered in midfield, and that's why Man City ran the game in the first half. And, you know, when they had in midfield, Whelan and De Lapp up against Manchester City's Street, they were never going to cope with that. And David Silva, and I couldn't believe that he stayed with his wide players, because the wide players didn't affect the Aaron Lennon, sorry, not Lennon, no. Uh, Pennant got a couple of crosses in uh, early on in the game but he didn't Ed- really affect it he didn't affect his hamstring, the hamstring
2: so he was no, playing it, basically as Delap would have done had yeah. he been in that role he wasn't playing that's, that's what that's
3: what they changed to in yeah. the end yeah, that's but, right. and and that's how I thought they would start the game because he had to and that was when I thought Tony Pillars didn't didn't do the job right he didn't see that Man City were running the game in midfield and how was he going to change that mm-hmm. you know he could have brought Walters back but Walters got caught halfway in between i think Walters was a de- is a decent player but in between the it was, the, it was the, devastating the
2: in the semi wasn't he was he? he
3: was excellent but um, he couldn't he couldn't control the game and Man City I thought were by far and away the better team yes
1: perhaps a bit a bit hard though, I think when you when you blame a manager for not sticking to the guys who, who got you there yeah, um, yeah. But, but you, but you have got to be goal, so if, if uh, you've
3: got if you've got a player in your side that obviously wasn't fit you're going to lose a game you can't
2: play football now with a guy that's only 50% fit mm. I think he, maybe he was looking how many scorers have I got on the field Eddington yeah. might just knick, mm. nick a goal uh, and and
1: to be fair though I think City one team that do match up well physically as well mm, with, of course uh, um, long, long league, with throw it's not a problem were they no a problem um, <laughs> one final thing I, obviously a lot of controversy said about the fact that you know the FA Cup final um, you know being played on a Saturday with uh, yeah. Macy Premier League appetizers um, we know why it happened it's because they had to uh, uh, relinquish Wembley X amount of days before the FA Cup final yeah. I have one question this is just a genuine question maybe there's a good reason Why couldn't they have played the full Premier League schedule on Sunday and sort of kept Saturday for the FA Cup?
4: I I think there must be some... uh, Someone did try and explain it to me, but some broadcasting... It's part of the global. I mean, obviously, you know, we're not just sticking on these games for um, uh, uh, all of us here. Um, We we have our debts now to... um, Asia um, and uh, around the world. and I think it's just sort of basically wrapped up in a TV contract. Now I still don't think that excuses why the title decider was allowed to be on the same day. They should, Man United uh, and Chelsea, if they had been, um, you know, if been relevant, should have been on the Sunday. But again, the trouble is, part of that broadcasting contract is presumably that one of the big clubs um, will be playing on the Saturday. It's you know, whatever the excuse is, it's not good enough. But it's wrapped up uh, as ever in money and TV.
1: Let's move on to the, uh, uh, what turned out to be the title decider. Uh, not a big surprise that United won the title uh, at Blackburn. Um, huge game for, for Rovers, of course. Um, should we be giving them credit or should we be blaming Thomas Kushak on that first goal? Stuart? Well, Thomas Kujac uh, had, a,
3: had a shocker from the moment he came out to, to the moment he went back in. He did everything wrong. He, he took too much time on, on kicks. He didn't come for crosses. He let balls run across his box. He looked a bag of nerves. And if you don't play regularly, this is the problem with bringing in goalkeepers and then the number two for so long and the other goalkeeper plays every game. When they do come in, you haven't got game experience. Every game is, is, is like, I use the term, a cup final tier. Mm-hmm. And you're under pressure. And he showed that he was under massive pressure. He's probably got that game to prove whether he's good enough to... Me, Manchester United's goalkeeper next year, mm-hmm. and one thing he did prove: he's not good enough to be Manchester United's makes, goalkeeper next year.
2: Makes Steve Harper quite a character because he must have played. Yeah. Must have waited ten years for his chance. And uh, then but took because it. a
3: lot of goalkeepers are happy being number two. Yeah, yeah.
2: The, I uh, mean, uh, I remember. Do you remember Liverpool used to unveil the, the supposedly mm-hmm. the greatest number two, mm-hmm. who immediately bombed? Yeah, um, because he'd been playing behind yeah. behind, say, Clement. But they or used somebody. to play in reserve
3: matches years yeah. ago. Yep. The number twos don't play. They, in don't, play they, they play don't play
1: reserve. They just so, watch. so these are professional footballers that play two games a year yeah well c- curiously not to go back to this of course Stoke also um, you know playing going with Sorensen who played most of the FA Cup instead of Begovic in the final but well, what a save um, and, uh, from Balaterre n- tremendous save tremendous save but going back to uh, going back to Ewood Park uh, the penalty incident uh, with with Robinson coming out on, on Hernandez I guess we can clear this up once and for all it Really doesn't, I mean, make much of a difference whether he touched him or not, and I think he did touch him. Um, it had to be a penalty. Am, yes. am I right, Dico? Yes, you are.
4: You're right. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I sort of heard it turn people trying to turn it into a debate. I'm still not quite sure why. To be I, honest, I with can't
2: me. see the debate. Oh, the only debate I can see is how big a spanking Paul Robinson should get for making an error like that at the age of 32. Well, first of all, he was
3: slow to react. Yes. the ball should have been his in the first place. Yes. but he was slow to react, and then by going down, he was always going to give the penalty away because Hernandez yeah. wouldn't have scored from that no. from that angle.
1: No, you know, let's talk about what happened in in the last 10 minutes of this game because this is something that. I I'm very used to seeing in Italy when, when you have a result which suits both teams, and you know, hey, you know, you guys likely stay up, we win the title, that's great, nobody wants to concede the goal, um, so they end up passing it around. It's not something I generally associate with the Premier League. Um, am I the only should well, I just this, grow up and say this is reality in this situation it didn't upset either set supporters no,
3: it, of course it, not cause, but, cause, but so, so but yeah, it the, might have the, upset a Blackpool fan for example it, it might it probably did and it might upset the neutral who's watching on the telly for the last tennis because you might as well have just turned it off and said well that, we know what the outcome is going to be but you can understand both teams doing it you know Manchester yeah. United don't have to push for a goal Blackburn don't, don't really want to push for a goal so they, they certainly I don't want saw the same thing
2: it. happen in a Champions League game at Old Trafford I think Bayern Bayern were there and, and they just played out time mm. uh, for, for one all because that was suited the both clubs in the group. Mm. I think that we've come on a long, long way since 1982, was it? Mm, when uh, Germany Tunisia and... Tunisia were yeah. cheated by Germany and Austria. It was uh, Algeria. Algeria, I beg your pardon. Uh, w- were cheated and, and then there was a sort of mood of outrage. I think people feel now that use the rules. Uh, I certainly felt no sense of outrage at all. Well, you, also,
3: you, that game that you're talking about they did it from the start of the game uh-huh. this game Manchester United but yeah, they played honestly and competitively for 85 minutes
2: probably couldn't accuse I mean presumably the complaint from the fellow relegation clubs would have been about Blackburn and nobody could say that Blackburn uh, didn't give a terrific account of themselves
1: mm-hmm. over the 90 minutes absolutely Dicko you get the last word on on, on Blackburn um, much of the season people have sort of uh, um, people have, I think have been kind of unkind to Blackburn maybe with good reason but you know, between Venkies and, and the guy who looks like a Bollywood star and, uh, and, and, and Big Sam at first and then Big Sam going and then the Steve Keen and, and all this jazz, hey, what kind of Blackburn should we expect next season, presumably in the Premier League?
4: Um, yeah, well, I think that the, the, the reason there was so much sort of um, scepticism was that you know that there's been some some there's a daft sackings and the one of Allardyce seemed to um, win the prize basically. I mean, and, and I don't think staying up, you know, sort of give them any vindication for that i mean uh, it, it was it was bizarrely handled the, the only reason seemed to be because of sort of um some kind of um agent maneuvering um behind the scenes um uh all very very uh, oddly um uh, oddly and badly handled but yeah i mean they're gonna st- it looks like they you know are uh, gonna stay up and and um pff- whether I think they're taking it seriously, venkis um, I know they're house hunting um, in the area. They're going to spend. Um, they're going to buy a place. They're going to sort of be around more often. Um, the, the fascination now is whether they're actually going to throw some throw some proper money at it. But I, I'm just slightly confused why they went for Blackburn. I mean, maybe, you know, because because it was because it was viable, obviously. But I mean, the gates have always been a problem there. I don't see how they're going to create a a force there. And you know, they're talking about you know we want Champions League and which is just a, you know, a complete nonsense. Um, even European football, I, I, if, if, if they're doing it for the money, I can't understand the rationale in the slightest.
1: Well, since it's the end of the year, it's a special season, we actually have a special guest with us, and I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Dave Boyle. Now, uh, I first met uh, Dave uh, a few years ago. He helped, uh, helped us out with uh, with our book, The, the Italian Job, and uh, back then, Dave, you weren't a big shot, because uh, you weren't the chief executive of Supporters Direct, mm-hmm. but you are now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, can you can you tell us what supporters' direct mission statement is, the main thing they do? Yeah, I mean, we're an organisation we've
5: been around for about 10 years now and we work with football fans and increasingly fans of other sports, but mainly football, to get involved in the ownership and management and governance of their club. They do this through supporters' trusts. Many people will have heard of them. The biggest one is the Man United Supporters' Trust. Um, and we, we support those individual groups at different clubs. There's about 170 across the UK. We're also doing a bit of work in Europe now. Um, and we also sort of have a policy function where we sort of get all their voices get all their requests and sort of channel them through to government through to the FA through to the leagues um so we can uh, m- sort of press for changes which help all of us um in the supporters trust movement
1: and so basically, for those who don't know, yeah. the, the supporters' trust is basically an organisation of supporters yeah. where they, right. they, they try to, they haven't been successful. I mean, they, they, if they can buy shares That's right. in a club so they have a yeah. voice within the club, they do that. If yeah. not, they remain independent. And-
5: yeah, they'll, they, they'll look for whatever avenues they can at their club. If the club's got shares like a club like Arsenal, you've got the Arsenal Supporters' Trust who've created the fan share scheme to give fans a chance to buy in when shares are £10,000 a pop. Um, at other clubs where, the, where there aren't shares available, they'll lobby and campaign and ask, for, you know, and it might start off with meetings with the chief executive or the chairman to give them a bit more dialogue but you you try and work all the way up to a seat on the board because that's where the decisions get made and it's about putting the voice of fans at the place where it matters most whilst decisions are being made rather than dealing with the consequences of decisions which have already been taken which may or may not be uh, you know once the course is set it's pretty difficult to turn the ship around
3: can i ask you about uh, Russian diamonds yeah, because Russian diamonds when i was there they were owned by max griggs and then he went bankrupt yeah. and then another chap took them over and then i I think they sold out to the supporters, or the supporters took them over. It was slightly,
5: slightly, Max Griggs gave it away to the supporters' trust, and then they
3: couldn't deal with the fact that... Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off
0: by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
5: Max Griggs had had inflated the club so far beyond what it was sustainably able to do. Um, They sold to another guy, Keith Cousins, who I think had been involved at Peterborough, and he suddenly found the same problem. You know, the problem really wasn't the supporters' trust, it was that Rushton and Diamonds had been paying wages for a club with about three times the gates of Rushton and Diamonds. But I know know it it wasn't successful, was it? No, no, I mean, and this is the problem we've always found, that where supporters' trusts have become involved in, in a big way in the club, where they've had a clean sheet to work, from. They've done amazingly well. Exeter City had a horrible inheritance, but thanks to Tony Cascarino drawing them against Man United mm. in 2005, they cleared those debts. And now look at them. They've achieved the best position they've ever achieved of the club. Their gates are at 70% up in five years' time without a single big signing. Alternatively, you look at places like York, where they couldn't get past the fact that the previous chairman had sold the ground to himself and then sold it to a house builder and they had to find the money to pay him back. Chesterfield had, I think, £1 million worth of debts from a, a guy who, I, th- I think he's out of prison now, but he went to prison for what he'd done at the club. Stockport County, they found that the previous owner had sold the ground to a rugby union club, um, which uh, which was, you know, it's always going to be a hampering. And what, what, what we find is that supporters often end up as the owner of last resort when the alternative is mm-hmm. liquidation. And it's pretty bad, the circumstances you get, and it's you're fighting with one hand behind your back. What we have found, though, if you look at places like AFC Wimbledon, FC United, Chester, yesterday Telford United got promoted to the conference, where you've got a clean slate, supporter ownership is a really successful way to do it. But there it. must be infighting amongst the supporters as well, mustn't there? what they're trying to achieve and where they're trying to go. You you will be surprised. That's the sort of idea. But what you tend to find is that the what happens when the supporters' trust get in control is that you don't get egos, which are wanting to make the team successful this season, as opposed to the success and, and existence of the club over the medium and longer term. So people have got a degree of uh, sanity and a bit of uh, a bit of grounding and reality because they can't pay silly money. There's nobody who's writing a check for the ambition the club wants to pursue, and and as a result, they, they tend to cut their cloth much more sort of. Uh, uh, economically and prudently and you know you get a a calming down I was cheating to a guy Julian Tagg who's on the board at Exeter City and he said yeah we get people who moan about the team if we have three defeats, but people aren't calling to sack the manager because they know that sacking the manager costs the club a load of money in severance pay and then there'll be a new guy and all his people and the club just doesn't have the the luxury of that kind of chopping and changing and it has to stick with the guy they've got and back him and try and support him accordingly and I think you you, you just get a degree of realism which I think football desperately needs. It needs some people Mm -hmm. to actually say let's try and grow organically over time the way
3: clubs used to grow. But Uh, my, my slight worry is also that then don't the fans want to pick the team eventually no
5: you. Uh, the only people who think fans want to pick the team are basically people who, who I think uh, you know you look at what happened with Street United and that they did nonsense, they really? did a complete disservice to the supporters trust movement Absolutely. because it's never been about picking the team it's been about picking the board and crucially
1: getting people off the board who aren't doing a good job um, I, I wanted to get on to um, the, the the select committee yeah. uh, because obviously you know you, you you were involved with that Um Sometimes when politicians take, a, you know, we 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 say we blame politicians for not caring, uh, and then sometimes when they when they take an interest, um, they're interfering. Um, what sort of mindset? Did did these people have? Um, because I think in politicians, I think of that that nut job in was it Sheffield or, or someplace up north who after uh, Steve McLaren uh, and and you know in England were knocked out, he, he went on that rant in Parliament about how they didn't care and whatever else. And yeah. I think yeah. you know I think well, a deluded. Well, the select,
5: the select committee. There are there are some MPs who, who are oh, like, deluded pinheads. Who are, yeah, who are deluded pinheads. And football being our national sport gives them an opportunity to get column inches, which talking about more pressing and more homespun concerns wouldn't give them. So that guy, you know, you say he's a pinhead, but he also probably got elected last time because of a bit of publicity. So you can do the maths there. In this select committee case, though, the select committee is slightly different from the sort of knockabout world of the House of Commons chamber. It's it's supposed to examine issues in more detail, and you've got people who have to study. The evidence who have to go and fact find admissions and speak to the people concerned. Now, being a being a uh, these MPs are busy people, so so you,
1: you volunteer for the for you the get you committee? get chosen you
5: for this select committee on a party basis. So there's I think there's 11 members of it, and I think there are six Conservative members because they're the the government governing party, one Liberal Democrat, and a few Labour MPs as well.
2: May, may I also say yeah. at this point that the contributions to the committee, I mean people talk about. Talking Shops and Halitosis Hall and so on. But the, the the plain fact is that the contributions to that committee of, of not only yourself, but uh, uh, even more dramatically, um, Ian Watmore yeah, absolutely. and the former FA chief executive who gave a magnificent presentation to that. Um, and equally, uh, David Treesman yeah. who has actually been... Uh, beckoned out of the closet and told the truth about, uh, and given us a much greater insight um, into the level of corruption at the highest councils of FIFA. So, I mean, a a lot of knowledge, light has been shed by this uh, hearing. And it's not only given a... a, I mean, it it would be worthwhile alone if only to cement uh, the the relationship between the parliamentary uh, body, uh, the cross-party parliamentary body and supporters directly. for example, it'd be worth it. But it's it's also provided some terrific Enlightenment, and, and it's got stuff. Uh, it, it, what's what's quite interesting is that you
5: speak to a lot of journalists, and there isn't a lot of sort of new stuff being said. But mm. what's be- it's being said dramatically yes. in front of a committee of MPs, and it can't be ignored. Yes. A lot of the stuff Ian Watmore said was absolutely common knowledge to anybody who knew the it. Beat. Wouldn't
2: be worthwhile going to a no. newspaper where
5: so, nobody would listen. Absolutely, and it starts to dr- and it just becomes part of the common sort of background of football that it's not run very well, and there's tensions between all the various governing bodies. Having it said in front of a load of MPs on the record. It's done a great service. Yes. People like myself. It, I think
4: it has. Although I think we we need uh, and, and you know, we, uh, we need to be cautious about how much clout they're going to. You know, w- will they'll follow? I th- oh, I think with.
2: we are all cautious about that. But <laughs> it's better. But it's is, better yeah, than he, nothing.
4: I mean, I'm not saying it isn't. But it just need. You know, I mean, basically, you know, and, and I was there for what morning. It was superb, and he. He laid out a sort of, you know, if, if you were starting from scratch, how 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 these relationships in the FA and the Premier League should should should, you know, you you would build it if you could, you know, start from 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 the bottom. But the fact is, we can't. And and uh, you know, the, the fact and the, the sports minister can talk a big brave game, but I'm not sure he's got the um, cojones to um, to take on the Premier League. So, uh, you
1: know. Um Now I wanted to uh, to get on. Uh, Want to ask you something else here about the the, the the select committee which is so we have all these revelations and now the, the the next step is you know what happens next what goes forward i mean one thing that struck me was without getting too bogged down in the in the, in the uh, specific but obviously treisman makes these these accusations and i look at them and i say none of this is in any way um, can in any way be prosecuted or investigated, possibly the Warner stuff but at the same time the England 2018 Bid Committee uh, had set aside uh, half a billion dollars for global development. So if Warner is asking for some of that money um, well it's because it's there and I, I think you know you can't, you can't go out and say he's asking for a bribe um, or at least not believably in, in, in a court of law. And it seems to me also Treisman's doing this in Parliament where he knows he, he can't be sued So, does anything come of this?
5: I think the uh, I think there's two issues in terms of what practically gets recommended by the select committee and the sort of more the the more public sort of the way it spins out. I think you know nobody's going to. Think that if you can't corroborate what Treisman says, that means they're not true because it's like that American concept of truthiness. They, right. they scream truthiness. Mm-hmm. That that the people who you know, let's put it bluntly, twenty you lock twenty four people in a room and hold them completely unaccountable yeah. for a decision, which will lead to billions of pounds going in one direction or another. And you know the idea, the idea that you know, if if there's only eight people who are corrupt, then you know why are the other sixteen not doing it? Because yeah. it's all set up to to be the one of the most corrupt processes since the medieval church chose its popes. But the, the, the In terms of the select committee... he you mean it wasn't God choosing the pope. <laughs> he was speaking through them, and God right. sometimes needed a favour to be asked to yes. sort of prove his uh, prove the faith. Um,
2: God doesn't come free.
5: Absolutely. <laughs> it costs a lot of money to get a God that good. Um, but the, the, the select committee has been asked to do this by the government, and I think the government have got a manifesto commitment which they um, w- were elected upon, and to some degree they've said, well, well how can we do it? Because I, in the course of doing our evidence to the select committee, I, I just googled the Chester report from 1968 which very few people bother to go back to but it basically says English football approached the government in 67 and said we're broke, we're dealing with the maximum wage which has just gone and we're now struggling with, with decades worth of infrastructure developments we've not done which was why in 66 half the grounds were designed by Archibald Leach and they would not been changed since so the government said well there's a problem with football clubs cost control, they can't control their spending and there's a disconnect between their fans and the clubs and there needs to be some supporter representation on the board Dennis Howell, Minister for Sport, everyone says one of the very best ones we've had in this country, says in Parliament, I will absolutely guarantee that this will happen. Nothing happens. And we went through all the reports in the last 40 years, and it's about a foot high of reports saying football's governance is challenged, needs to be changed, something has to be done, and nothing ever gets done. So I think the the challenge this time is, what are you going to do different, Minister of Sport, than your 14 predecessors who've tried to crack this very nut and have failed? The interesting idea which has been talked about is, a, is of a sports bill um, in Parliament. One of the problems you have in the UK, which you don't have in several other European countries, is that there is absolutely no interface between the minister and sport. He has no power. Putting him in the cabinet doesn't change the fact that all he can do is make speeches. If you're a small sport which needs your money from government, then you've got a you've got a lever. You can you can you know you can get British Luge over the over the coals and you can demand them make changes. But when you're a sport which is Independently wealthy, government have very little power, and that's something which other European countries have found ways to tackle. The Spanish, you know, it's it's got its flaws, but you've got the highest Sports Council, so it's an arm's length agency which can bring the FA in and it can compel changes in the national association. Now you might wonder why they've not made changes. Obviously, they are policy towards uh, uh, the racism which seems to be somewhat endemic in the Spanish game, but the power exists. So it's if so sorry, David, yeah.
1: jump, jump in there, but uh, there's a, you have to be careful about that because there's a FIFA stat. That clearly says if you allow government interference in the running of your national FA, you will be suspended from FIFA.
5: I think there are two issues with that one. One, in the current climate, I think a lot of people would say, so what? Um, And, and, you know, if FIFA are not going to reform themselves and prevent us from reforming our own FA, then that's a degree of intolerableness, which we can't. But also, what do we mean by interference? Um, FIFA are very upset when individuals at the very top of the National Association get removed on government diktat mm-hmm. um, they seem to be less concerned about dictators putting their brother-in-law in, in that position but let's let's, let's skip that one yes. um, if you want to say simply though that if the government wants to give support to the national yes. governing body of a sport, public funds, infrastructure, security, policing for major tournaments for example yeah. the national governing body has to prove it's well governed it has proper stakeholder engagement and it's not run as essentially a Victorian Boys when, Club.
2: when, into the year 2000, uh, the government provided 125 million pounds of public money uh, towards the purchase of the site on which a commercial organization yeah. uh, would build a commercial what they <laughs> imagined was a commercially viable <laughs> new stadium, yeah. um, there was no howls from FIFA that this was government interference so in the sports just He's t- talking about Wembley, yeah. They just took the money. Yeah.
5: And I think yeah. as a taxpayer, I think it's only right that you, you if you get something from the taxpayer you, you get something something exactly. comes back the other way.
1: We have to we have to wrap it here, but uh Dave, um can you tell us well, basically reiterate the main points that, that, that fans should know about and also tell us if people do want to get uh, involved with Supporters Direct, well, how they can you, do that.
5: We've just published two reports which uh, look at what the Select Committee could do and what government could do and they're available on our website which is www.supporters-direct.coop that's C-O-O-P. Um The next stage is that the committee will probably make its report in the next two, three weeks and then government will respond and at that point there'll be a debate in the House of Commons again. This started because of a debate by Steve Rotherham the MP for Liverpool, Walton about what was happening at Liverpool last September and there are about 50, 60 MPs turned up. We'd help a similar attendance and people who feel strongly can actually lobby their MPs and say, if this select committee report isn't good enough, say why. If it's a great report which recommends really good changes which we'd really want to see government getting behind, then we need to be saying that as well. But the next stage is to see what this report says. Um, as people have said, the evidence um, has been has been pretty strong in the in the committee and I think unlike previous inquiries, this time it's not spent six weeks deciding is there a problem with governance in england it's a case of what are the problems and, and now it's on what are the solutions it's not easy but i think with the tides moving in the right direction but having done this for 10 years um you know you learn to temper your optimism with the grim reality of the way in which things move
1: grim realities dave boyle thanks so much all right, time now for some quick hits. Mm-hmm. Two goals down at home, second lowest attendance in the Premier League, dead last. Paddy, how did Roberto Martinez engineer Wigan's incredible comeback, and can they hope in a miracle next weekend?
2: I do hope so. Uh, the answer to the question, though, is good management. Martinez uh, is, is is a proper manager who I think is going to go on and uh, have further success either with Wigan or perhaps with a, a bigger club. And I think there's a, there's a there's a unity about the club there uh, that if they do go up will be the main reason
1: that defeat of course also cost West Ham their place in the Premier League and it cost Avram Grant his job Uh, Dicko any reason why Gold, Sullivan and Brady felt the need to sack him right then and there beyond wanting to humiliate the guy and uh, are they really the unholy trinity Uh,
4: Well, I suspect, yeah, they sacked him because they're feeling like idiots for not sacking him before and then feeling doubly like idiots for appointing him in the first place. I mean, I couldn't. um, He's a nice guy. Avram. I've had the pleasure of dinner with him. Nice bloke. But I can't for the life of me see why he was appointed. Um, Yeah, West Ham's still got a cachet. He could have appointed a far better manager. He's done a lousy job, deserves the sack. um, But, yeah, humiliating him in the process, um, not necessary.
1: And Karen Brady still in a job. Arsenal go down again, 2-1 at home to Aston Villa as Darren Bent scores two. Uh, Stuart, we've asked you where it all went wrong uh, before so many times that I'm not going to ask you about that. But um, I want to ask you, are Arsenal going to hang on to third place and should Arsene Wenger go the way of Avram Grant?
3: First question, I think they won't get to third place. I think Arsenal will lose at Fulham next week because Fulham seem to be in good form. Should Arsene Wenger go the same way as Avram Grant? Many supporters feel he should. I think he's got to do a lot of work in the summer and he's got to take a good, hard, long look at himself. Is he going to be better defensive? Is he going to organise that back four? Is he going to get the balance right between attacking football and defensive football? And if he doesn't get that right, there's only one place that that he's going to be going, and that's out the door.
1: Silence, Dan. Are you listening? Blackpool and Bolton put on a dramatic seven-goal thriller to keep Ian Holloway's hopes of staying up alive, although he'll have his work cut out for him at Old Trafford next week. Uh, Paddy, was this actually a great game or a game filled with plenty of mistakes, or both? It was both, just like the
2: game at Wigan. Weren't they two cents? sensational matches um, and uh, you know I've been saying this all along that that um, that good teams are going to be relegated this season there shouldn't be a shame in relegation when you're Black Bull if they do go down I rather feel that they may I feel that Old Trafford may be their last visit to the Premier League for a while but my word what they have for me they've been one of the teams of the season but yeah it's, it's great entertainment
1: Kenny leash signs a three-year deal keeping him at Anfield, but uh, the start isn't particularly auspicious. A 2-0 home defeat against Spurs. Uh, Dicko, uh, given that uh, this is a rare week with no Liverpool fans in the studio, you get to answer this one. Please tell me that uh, Liverpool did the right thing in keeping King Kenny around, and this is just a nasty, nasty blip uh they
4: did do the right thing in keeping him around i mean i was a uh, skeptic about mckenney's um, return he's proved me wrong although I will, I will say thus far i mean um uh you know no one can dispute what he's done uniting uh, the club um, and he's done it Uh, He could only have done this at Liverpool. I'm not sure he he would have been uh, successful anywhere else. It's one of those bizarre sort of matters of chemistry in football that sort of somehow defy the, you know, all the sort of theories um, uh, that you can ever throw out there. It's 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 been great to see. I do hope it continues. um, But you know, I'll, I'll judge any rain on more than six months.
1: Matt Dickinson getting all metaphysical there. Uh, Wolves pull one out again. We're getting the better of strikerless Sunderland with a win that will go a long way towards keeping them up. Uh, Stuart, tell me some good things that Mick McCarthy has done at Molyneux.
3: He seems to have got spirit right at the right time. I'm not a great fan of of Mick McCarthy and his style of management. I don't think he's a coach. I watch his teams play. They don't inspire me. But in the recent weeks, they've played with an enthusiasm. They look as though they're going to score goals. The front players have done well and they've shown lots of energy. That's about as, as, as much as I can say about Mick McCarthy.
2: Anyway, Gab, time for you to answer one because we've got the Europa League final coming up with so, so much talk about the Champions League final. We've forgotten there's an absolutely fascinating Europa League in Dublin final in Dublin uh, between two Portuguese clubs, one of them managed by the intriguing Andre Villas-Boas. Explain
1: all, please. Yeah, of course, Andre Villas-Boas is uh, uh, he, he was originally Mourinho's assistant. He's going to be the big story everywhere he goes this summer, um, although I understand he's staying at, he's staying at Porto. Definitely one to look out for it. but also Porto, some very good players, a strike force of Hulk and Radamel Falcao, scoring more than 70 goals between them this season. But let's not forget Braga as well. You know, we all talk about sort of stability in a settled lineup. Braga, absolutely incredible. They only have two players who've played more than 75% of their minutes this season. Basically, they're constantly rotating in and out, smart manager in Domingo Paciencia, but basically a very well-run club, ultimate underdogs in this final, and um, I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks for joining us. You can go to www.thetimes.co.uk for all your news, your gossip, your analysis. If you're not a subscriber and you don't want to commit for a whole month, remember, you can get a day pass. It's only a pound. And also, you can enjoy all our web chats. Mine's on Mondays. Paddy's is on. Tuesdays. And of course, Ollie Kay and Graham Spears do one as well. And if all else fails, you can always follow us on Twitter. Till next week, goodbye.
4: Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
2: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more